One good thing that happened to me during the pandemic was to consider restarting my podcast, which I stopped after five episodes in 2016. Stuck at home with time on my hand, I wanted to put the microphone I bought for a better Zoom meeting experience to more use. I tried recording the podcast via Zoom, but it wasn't good. The sound quality was less than ideal, and any intermittent connection issues made it worse. Fortunately, I found Zencaster, a dedicated platform for virtual audio and video podcast recording. It provides crystal clear sounds, which is recorded locally before being pushed to the cloud. This way, you don't have to worry about any inherent connection issues that may disrupt your audio quality. And if you wish to do video, it allows you to record in gorgeous 1080p HD. The best tool is useless if it is too complicated. Zencaster resides on the web and there is nothing to download. If you know how to use the browser, you would know how to use Zencaster. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. If you go to zen.ai slash agenttan and enter the promo code agenttan, you'll get 30% off your first three months. That's zen.ai slash agenttan. It's time to share your story. Data security is a process of protecting corporate data and preventing data loss through unauthorized access. This includes protecting your data from attacks that can encrypt or destroy data such as ransomware, as well as attacks that can modify or corrupt your data. Data security also ensures data is available to anyone in the organization who has access to it. Some industries require a high level of data security to comply with data protection regulation. But even if your organization is not subject to all this regulation, the survival of a modern business depends on data security, which can impact both the organization's key assets and private data belonging to its customers. With us today to tell us more about data security is Andy Ng. He's the VP and Managing Director for Asia, South and Pacific Region at Veritas Technologies. In this role, he is responsible for leading Veritas' overall business strategy, sales operations and continuous growth across ASEAN and Pacific Region. Prior to Veritas, Andy was with Simon Tech Corporation. He was instrumental in championing the transformation of the consulting business, building high-performing APJ architect and advisory team, and growing new routes to market for sales to drive opportunities through consultative selling. Hi, Andy. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Could you help us to understand for a layman person who may not know what Veritas does, what exactly do you do? So Veritas is the number one data protection leader in the world. We've just been recently named to the Magic Cordon for Gartner for 17 years in a row. And we, we actually support and have clients in about 90% of the Fortune 500, the top 10 largest FSI banks and the top 10 telcos rely on Veritas for data protection and also for high availability. When it comes to data protection, how serious of the situation is right now, given what we've been going through, a lot of digital transformation happening, especially over the past two years. Obviously, at a consumer right. level, we see a lot, especially in the Web3 space. But mm -hmm. overall, how has that severity been so far and what is happening right now? I think data protection has gotten a lot of attention in the last couple of years, especially with the increased attacks in cyber. So most notably around ransomware. So every second, there's literally around 20 ransomware attacks, right? So when I finish the sentence, there's already a few hundred attacks in the world. So for a lot of organization is a question, not a question of 
if they'll get attacked is really when they will get attacked, right? So because of the frequency and, and because of, of the pandemic, the threat surface now has also increased exponentially. So if you are an enterprise, most, most large companies here would, on top of having people work from home, they would also have different data silos all over, especially when they have to accelerate digital transformation and adopt cloud, right? So there's this emerging emergence of multi-cloud usage has also driven and increased the attack surface for ransomware. So data protection, if you think about it, is really the last line of defense. If for a large corporation 10, 15 years ago, if you have secured your perimeter and spend a lot of money to, to protect your, or rather to detect and secure your data, uh, chances of getting attacked is actually pretty slim. Today, you really need to plan for getting attacked and really have your data protected so that data protection is essentially is your last line of defense. I personally call this a convergence of data protection and security because you can't really take care of security without addressing data protection. And you can't totally data protect all your data without securing them as well. So there's this convergence that's happening. Data security or cybersecurity is not something new. It's been around for quite some time to the extent, of course, even in Singapore, there are agencies that takes care of it at a very large scale. But still with all the progress, all the hackers, all the bad actors seems to be catching up very quickly. The most recent one, of course, would be the attack on Uber. There's a particular term, maybe you can share more on that, on how they use a psychological trick to basically gain in access to one individual. So when it comes to things like this, and of course, the weakest link would always be the, user. the person that's most unprepared. What, what can companies learn from this episode and how can they prevent such things from happening because despite all your investment in the latest hardware software, the individuals most likely will be the weakest. You're, you're absolutely right. Whether it's Uber, whether a innocent consumer, or even the systems administrator of a very large bank, the often and the weakest link is always the user. Right? So the only advice I'll give here is education and awareness. Right? For very large companies, especially in the banking industry, uh, it is actually a, a standard process where every single employee with access to critical data and systems will need to be uh, routinely be asked to take training, right? So that they can be kept aware of the latest phishing attempts and the latest uh, tricks that our, that the uh, our per perpetrators would typically uh, use. So it's all, so it's all down to education and awareness, right? Yeah. And in today's landscape, what are some of the other common tricks that the bad actors may be pulling? Common ones which people can easily prevent just by paying a bit more attention to what's going on out there? I'll say, I think the one that I think a lot of us are always on the lookout for is clicking on links, whether it's a, and I get a lot of them as well, right? So despite the fact that my company filters a lot of that out, either the junk or outright block it. I still get uh, emails saying that I've won something or the latest one I got was I had subscribed to this, I had subscribed to this service for additional protection. And then uh, if I want to resolve it, I click on this link. And I think that is the most common one, right? Embedding 
hidden links that could either embed a Trojan on your machine or methods to, to fish for information from your laptop or from your, from your PC. Another one that I think recently is barcode, right? There are a lot of places where you go. Uh, I remember watching uh, a, a documentary where they have a barcode right next to a coffee shop, right? So it, as you pay, you're supposed to take a survey, you're supposed to get a, you're supposed to get a, a free coffee if you fill in a survey. What happened was uh, someone actually pasted something over the original barcode. And when you scan the other barcode, it will lead you to a good tip there is, unless the barcode is very dependable and you can see that there's no additional sticker or whatever that's over it, don't scan. And you have to scan, don't click. So that, those, are the few, those are the few common new ones yeah, that we're seeing. I must say there is a very intelligent scam just by pasting it over yeah. and riding on the popularity of some place with high traffic. And right. of course, right. with all this going on, it, it reminds me of how troublesome it is nowadays to travel ever since 9-11 because of the kind of security checks. You have to double check, triple check. There's so many things you can't do. You have to take off your shoes, take off your jacket. And wouldn't all this really make the entire work process a lot more cumbersome and are there, is this something that everyone have to just deal with because these are facts of life right now? Or are there means and ways for us to continue to be as productive and seamless as possible, especially in this collaboration where there's a lot of remote work going on? Not all your colleagues would be at your desk. You have to deal with some other countries. How can companies resolve this and to really be, at the end of the day, just create that outcome and be productive? That's a very, uh, it's a thoughtly debated uh, topic right now. And depending on the industry, there are companies that have advocated hybrid work, for example, and have mandated it because without which you won't be able to attract employees because employees after two and a half years have grown accustomed to this hybrid work. But then on the, uh, on the other spectrum, there are also companies who are mandating that people come into work. And if, in some of these industries, I think you probably heard about this as well. Elon Musk, it's a big proponent of having people work from, should be at work. So if you think about it, if you're building cars and you've got a factory line, there's not a lot of options there. But we also see a lot of financial services companies who are also mandating that their, their senior executives and their salespeople come into work, right? Because that's where relationships are, are forged. So if you were to ask me, I think a lot depends on the industry. But one thing that I think we, we all have learned is certain things that we've taken for granted. For example, large events where we congregate to get training. I think that's probably going to that's probably going to be done remotely for the foreseeable future. Um, and I think with Teams and with Zoom and earlier the app that we're trying to use, they've also evolved quite a fair bit. A lot of it is now very interactive. A lot of it can, you also can create separate rooms. So it's as close to being real life as possible. With that said, though, I think there are still, there are still meetings where eye to eye contact, a handshake will only work, right? So. One thing that I've seen and one thing that I mandated with, with my own team is if you want to have something where you need a workshop, remote, work from home, it's probably not going to work very well because you require a lot of eye contact. You require a lot of whiteboarding, right? So I'll say depending on the, on the type of business you're in and depending on the type of meeting you're trying to do, very often collaboration tools and communication tools, right? Like Teams, like Google and they meet and Zoom, those could definitely make us a lot more efficient and save a lot of money as well, traveling, right? We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Special thanks to Zencaster for sponsoring today's episode. 
podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Zencaster's all-in-one web-based solution makes the process quick and painless, the way it should be. I'm obsessed with quality and Zencaster delivers crystal clear audio and stunning HD video. Not to mention that it's easy to use even for my less tech-savvy guests. There's nothing to download. They simply click on the link and begin recording. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience as simple as possible. You don't have to leave your browser to finish the episode because the tool includes everything from local recording to automatic post-production. Take the next step in your podcasting journey. Go to zen.ai slash adriantan and enter the promo code adriantan and you'll get 30% off your first three months. That's zen.ai slash adriantan and remember to enter in the promo code adriantan at checkout. It's time to share your story. Yeah. Oh yes, I think that's the biggest ticket item that many people have been saving over the past two years without the need to go into office, to dress up, to even shower, in, in fact. <laughs> and going back to the cybersecurity aspect, and this is really on behalf of the 99% SME out there, understand that Veritas primarily work with MNC, but I'm very certain there are some principles, some practices that our smaller companies would be able to apply as well, as much as they may not have the kind of budget of your key clients. Based on your observation, what are some of the answers that SME should be adopting, but somehow they are just letting it lose sideways? Are there certain things, quick achievements that they can look at or low-hanging fruit that they can actually adopt? Yeah, one of the things that I think a lot of SMEs have to be careful about is with the maturity of ransomware, today, you don't even need to sponsor your own attack. You could actually go to the dark web and actually buy a service for as little as about $200 US. You could actually engage ransomware as a service. So small, medium-sized enterprises have to be, have to be ready for it, right? The best advice you can give is to find a partner in it with, that has got, that will allow, that gives you the right service and the right advice as far as securing your data is concerned and protecting your data is concerned. And I think the good news is at Veritas, although our main market is actually large enterprises, government and big banks. We're also seeing, we're also offering new cloud services that, that, that will enable small and medium enterprises to have protection at a lower entry point. And a lot of these solutions are actually in the cloud. So it, it fits small to medium sized businesses who don't have, who typically won't have an entire IT team or even a data center. So on one hand, we have ransomware as a service, which is something new to me. But on the other hand, we have protection as a service as well, which definitely will be able to counter and then operate balance. And I think for the uninitiated, could you help us to understand what is the kind of penalty, the kind of detriment that we'll be looking at in instance where the data get leaked or the data get exposed to the interweb? What's the things that we'll be facing as a business? So if we go back 12, 15 years ago, I think there was a very high profile data leak and it caught a lot of CEO's attention and chairman of company's attention because it wasn't just the security head. It wasn't just the IT head. It wasn't even the CEO that was in prison. It's actually the chairman of the company. That's how serious it is when you've got a data breach or a data leak. I'm not sure if you're aware of this thing called the GDPR, which is part of the EU regulation. For the benefit of our audience, could you define what is um, GDPR? Yeah, so it's the General Data Protection Regulation. It's it's an EU law that was passed in 2018. 
So the penalty for a company could be up to 2% of their global revenue, right? So if you think about it, it's very serious. It's very serious. And it doesn't only cover countries that are in the EU. It covers any business that does any, oh, sorry, it covers any business in any country that has customers in the EU. So for that matter, a Singapore Airlines will be subjected to the, to, to the GDPR regulation. So if you've, if you've actually gone online and booked a ticket, you would have seen that you would have to make an additional declaration that you're willing to share your data, right? That's an extra step that is in the um, Singapore Airlines website because obviously Singapore Airlines would have a lot of EU customers and hence they will be subjected to uh, GDPR fines if they are found to be uh, to have leaked data. And in this case, it's privacy, not so much a data leak, but uh, it's around privacy. So penalty is indeed huge. But hearing what you said, uh, if I'm a domestic player and I have no customers, no suppliers, no contacts in the EU side, does that mean I can flaunt the law in Singapore? Can I just not don't care and disregard cybersecurity? So in Singapore, we've also got the Data Protection Act. As I think a good example, in the last few years, you would have seen that instead of giving you your, putting your IC when you're registering for service, they typically will only ask for your last four or five numbers, right? Whereas in the past, it's, you actually have your, you spell out your full name, you spell out your whole IC. You may even leave it at the security counter. So the keyword in the industry is personal, it's PIA, right? PII, sorry. So it's personal identifiable information. So. By in itself, a string of numbers means nothing. But once you link an IC to a name, then it becomes PI, PII, right? And uh, the, e, the GDPR has got very strict and defined rules around PII, right? So you need, to give, you need to give consent before any company can actually tap that information or keep that information. If not, they would have to purge it, right? Means they need to delete it. They can't keep it, yeah. And in situation of an unfortunate data leak, what can bad actors actually do with all this information? So if someone get my IC number, what's the worst thing that they can do with it? So I think a couple of things that you can do. One is I think, A, you need to make sure that you can have the data back. So having it protected and having it and have to have the ability to restore it is very critical. So there's a big difference here, right? So for the uninitiated, having your data protected doesn't mean that you can restore it. So restoration is key because until you can restore your data, you're still liable to the ransom. So in a lot of cases, a lot of high profile cases around the world, they have to pay the ransom, not because the data wasn't protected. It was protected, but there's just no way they can restore it. So if you think about it, if you have multiple copies and you don't know where your copies are, you don't know which is your last known good copy, which version or which copy do you restore? That's why it's the, the, the perpetrators, the, the bad agents always have, a, have, a, have an edge. And then your second one is the, what other damage, right? So a lot of times, if you happen to have critical or private data that is, that is private, they can also ask for more money by leaking it, right? So one way is to hold you from getting access to it. Another one is to leak it in the dark web, to either sell in a dark web or to sell or to just leak the information in the, uh, in the web, right? So two ways, two ways to get there, really. Yeah. Oh, it sounds detrimental given the kind of double whammy that companies may get inflicted with. Oh, absolutely. 
On one hand, it's the penalty. On the other hand, and I think it's a complete loss of customer trust. And as oh, I've seen so in the, any... the other, you're, you're absolutely right. The other component, probably the largest damage apart from financial, when you have downtime, you'll lose customers, you lose revenue. But one thing that you, cannot, you can't really quantify is your brand and your reputation. So very often, the reputation damage is actually worse than the fiscal damage or the compliance damage. I have to say, though, on the other hand, if you've got a very, if you've got a very good policy and you can demonstrate an ability to recover from an attack, your brand can actually increase, right? We've got a customer. It's a global professional services organization based in the U.S., over hundred over hundreds of thousands of employees. So they were hit by a ransomware attack in 20, 2019, right? The good news is when they reported it, obviously they were out of commission for about 72 hours. Every single consultant's laptop was locked. So obviously if you're in a professional services organization, if, you're, if your laptop is locked, you can't clock your time. You can't, there's a lot of things you can't do. So the, so in the next 48, 72 hours, the stock of the company took a huge hit. But what this company did, they quickly had a, they had a very good PR team. They were very transparent what data was compromised, or in this case, how they were hit by ransomware and completely open to the, uh, to the public. And once they've finally recovered all that data and that, that's lost, their stock actually went, their original, or rather their stock actually went above the pre-ransomware attack levels, right? It's going to show if you've got a really good PR team and you communicate your attacks, um, and then once you demonstrate the ability to recover from a ransomware attack, your reputation, in this case, the value of company might actually even go up, right? So... So even in the worst situation, there are things that companies can do. But I think given this discussion, what we've learned is prevention is still better than cure. Going through all that must have been a very expensive exercise, as well as nerve-wracking, especially for all the employees within the company. They must be wondering what is going on. Yeah. And, and on that note, what do you see the future of cybersecurity to be? And what are the kind of continued bad acting, as we, con as we probably would know, in, a, in this kind of world, it's going to get worse and worse. People are just going to be more and more creative. What's the kind of trend that you, you believe will happen as we move into 2023? I think cyber threats and cyber res resiliency challenges are not going to go away. It has actually matured to a point where, as I've said, you could actually outsource this as a service. That just goes to show the extent of the market out there. So the best, the best course of action here is to have a plan. And to make sure that you detect, you protect, and you make sure that you can recover quickly. Once, once you've done all three, you're then, you'll be then in a better position to recover from an attack, right? And then the one thing that I've said before is always be prepared for the worst. So prepare for the scenario that you will be, you will get hacked. You will get your ransomware attack and make sure that you've got your, all your data secured and protected, make sure that you've run through enough the practices so that when the actual event hits, you'll be prepared, right? So in short, 
prepare for the worst, but hope for the best. And of course, be skeptical. Right. If you see something that's too good to be true, know that Nigerian loan is not for you. That money <laughs> that someone won in lottery in UK is not for you. Those are too good to be right. true. And I think that is how we can try to work together to prevent all these things from happening. And with that, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Where can people learn more about yourself as well as Veritas? You can find Veritas on LinkedIn. So I do updates and so does Veritas. So that's a good, that's a good place for you to learn more about Veritas. You can also go to Veritas.com. We've actually got a Vox, which is a Veritas open exchange. And this is a feature on our platform that allows MERS partners and our own employees to participate within an open dialogue. And then finally, you can also go to our website. We've got a, an event called Concur Every Cloud that's coming in the middle of October. So in that conference, which is virtual and free, you can definitely learn a lot more from, from Veritas. Awesome. Once again, thank you so much for making time today and really lovely speaking with you, Andy. Great. Cheers. Thanks, Adrian. Special shout out to today's sponsor, Zencaster. It may not be obvious, but every podcast episode usually comes with post-production. The ding, swoosh, fit in and outs are usually painstakingly added in by a professional sound engineer. The sound also requires normalization and noise reduction to provide listeners with the best listening experience. Before you grunt at spending money on sound engineering, you'll be pleased to know that all this can easily and quickly be done on Zencaster. It comes with a soundboard for live editing, so you can insert any audio clips live as you record. You can also add intro, add, and other audio on the fly. And with its automatic post-production feature, you can be assured of studio-quality sound with loudness normalization noise and hum reduction that makes your podcast sound like it was recorded in a studio. One transcript for your listeners, Zencaster's transcriptions are produced by their language modeling AI and proprietary machine learning tools that are on par with leaders such as Google Descript and Auto.ai. To enjoy all this, simply sign up for Zencaster by going to zen.ai slash adriantan and enter the promo code adriantan and you'll get 30% off your first three months. That's zen.ai slash agentan and remember to enter in the promo code agentan. It's time to share your story. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, it will be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you're using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this episode and podcast out to more people who may find it useful. I'll see you in the next episode of The Agent Han Show.